Yo, this is the best damn podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris. Welcome to You Can Be Mo Podcast. Uh, we have a very, very, very excellent podcast going on tonight. We got some uh, pretty notable coaches that's been around the game for a while. A few players, a few trainers. Uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. You can hear the theme music in the background. Back in the 90s, when you used to hear this music, you knew that it was uh, MJ time. Bulls going to take over, take the win, and let's go. So anyways, we're going to jump right into it. Again, I'm your host, Brandon Morris, and uh, we're coming to you live in the man cave. And we got some guys that's been all around the globe coaching, playing. Uh, So let's get right into it. Introducing Coach Corey, bring it to us. Yeah, Corey Shashelshik, St. Norbert College. Uh, played my high school ball at Seymour High School. Also owner of Seas Hoops Academy, working on multiple pro guys, college guys. Uh, entering my 10th year at St. Norbert. Excellent. Appreciate that check-in, Coach Corey. We live in here. Let's go. Uh, Q, go ahead and check in for us, my man, Q. Going on, B. Cordell Young from Kenosha, Wisconsin, living out in Minneapolis, Minnesota right now. Uh, previous experience played high school ball at Kenosha Bradford High School, collegiate basketball at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater. Had a brief stint with uh, Dallas Mavericks affiliate organization. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Back up. He's trying to be modest. L- let's hear about just one accolade, two or three, four accolades at, at UW Whitewater, man. Uh, three, three-time first-team All-Conference, two-time All-American, We Act Player of the Year. Player of the Year, okay, yeah. Way to hit him with it. My man Q. Uh, can you give us our your podcast as well, man, so we can have other listeners check you out? Yeah, we're on Elite Team Athletics, so we are on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts as well. And we got, we got some stuff on YouTube also, so you can check out our channels there. Appreciate that check-in. Q Young. My man, D. James. D, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Damon James. I'm at Grafton High School right now, head coach. Prior to that, I was at uh, uh, Western Illinois Division One, assistant coach. Prior to that, Kenosha Bradford High School head coach for five years. Uh, before that, assistant down at Parkside, Wisconsin Parkside, D2, a couple years. And then before that, at Racing Lutheran High School for, for three years. Uh, played at Mayville State and uh, played Juco at Rainy River Community College, originally from Cleveland. Cleveland in the house. Appreciate that check-in. Boy, this is a, this is a tough roster right now. Uh, Coach Young, go ahead and check-in. Coach Young, um, JV, head basketball coach at Bradford. Um, I also played at Bradford High School uh, way back in the days um, when uh, Prini was there. Um, assistant coach to uh, Greg Leach. Uh, work with Atkins um, on his level as well. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Thanks for that check-in, Coach Young. Coach Atkins, go ahead and check in. 
John Atkins, uh, head freshman basketball coach at uh, Kenosha Bradford. Uh, been in the program for five years under uh, Coach Greg Leach. And uh, also played all four years there and graduated in 09, finishing my high school career out under uh, Coach James. Excellent. Appreciate that. Coach Leach, go ahead and give us a check-in. Played high school basketball at St. Joe's. Coached over 30 years in the city of Kenosha. Uh, Hold up. Over 30 years? Yeah, I know. I look young, but I have some age to me. 30 years in the game. Wow, okay. Uh, Coached at St. Joe's, Tremper, and now currently the last. I've been going on seven years at Bradford. And, Damon, I didn't realize you were at Racine Lutheran. I got a feeling, and I was at the head coach at St. Joe's, you probably kicked my butt a few times. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, I, did, I was with Jeff Christensen, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Jeff Christensen, he got his 500 win against me. So I'm going down in the history books. <laughs> Appreciate it, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mike Martin, go ahead and check in, bro. Hey, peace. Uh, Mike Martin, uh, originally from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, now I reside in Los Angeles. Played Juco ball in, uh, at West LA College. Uh, finished at Chico State 2008. Uh, had an eight-year pro career from 08 to 2016. Uh, now I'm retired and my wife and I have started a uh, sports mentoring organization called Great Game Athletics, where we mentor the youth and uh, help inspire the pros jumpstart their pro careers. So how old are you, Mike? Uh, 35. 35. Young young 35. So I got a chance to play with Mike overseas in Egypt, and we battled it out at a few in a few games. A lot of fun, though. This young man can really go. Six 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 seven guard. Uh, I seen you tear it up in the Drew League too, quite a bit. So shout out to Mike Martin. Getting old. Getting old. He's he, he's on uh on the West Coast out in Los Angeles. So we got somebody from Los Angeles on here, Minnesota, Minneapolis. Not originally from there, but he's residing in there. Uh, Kenosha. We got Grafton, Racine, De Pere. We got a little bit of everybody. Coach Coleman, can you check in? This is Coach Coleman's first time to the podcast. I think he's a little shy, and it's okay. We'll have him check in later on. All right, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, first question is going to go to uh, the seasoned veteran of 30 years, Coach G. Uh, does anybody know, and I'm, I'm sure everybody's been paying attention to, to the last dance, watching MJ and the Bulls just uh, explain just express so much history when it comes to basketball specifically for me and i guess a lot of you guys as well but putting these young guys on notice um does anybody remember the chicago bulls player craig hodges and and then what years did he play for the bulls what type of player was he like his stats wise and then why haven't we seen him on this documentary? So, Greg Leach, I want to want to let you take take that away. Um, okay, so as usual, I did my research on this. Uh, I was a big Bulls fan, watched him. Craig Hodges was um, a favorite of mine. 
And just for everybody, just so you know, he won the three three uh, three point contest three years in a row. Whoa! Two time NBA champ as a player, two time NBA champ as an assistant. As an um, assistant coach, where at? Uh, Lakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Phil Jackson was done. Um, Phil's contract went out, and so did his. Uh, played for the Bulls for four years. He is a forty percent career three point shooter. Forty percent. Forty percent. First year with the Bulls, he shot forty-two point three, averaged ten points in sixteen minutes, um, and his stats thereon went down. Uh, he was out of the league by age thirty-one. Wow. And the excuse that the Bulls used at the time was that he was a poor defender and he was old. Um, he wasn't a great defender, that's true, uh, but he was thirty-one, and at the age of thirty-one, two-time NBA champ. Three-time NBA three-point champion. Not one team picked him up. Wow. Um, Some of that, there's there's some things, but there's some things in his career that were said and done. I think probably the biggest thing was the fact that he criticized Michael Jordan for not using his wealth and influence uh, socially and politically for minorities and the poor. And I truly believe that's what cut him why the bulls cut him loose if you look back to their comment that he was getting older um and a poor defender john paxson is the guy that had all his minutes <laughs> john yeah. paxson was older than craig hodges at the time Ooh. and uh john paxson was not a great defender either interesting interesting wow okay anybody else can speak to that mike can you touch on that a little bit yeah, um, funny, like I said, I'm originally from Chicago, but uh, outside of the city, I played that one year in high school, which was at Rich Central High School, and it's located in Olympia Fields, about 20, 30 minutes outside of Chicago, and um, that's originally where Craig is from, he's from Park Forest, and um, I was able to play against his youngest son in high school my senior year when he was a junior, so I actually got to be around Craig a little bit, and um, Craig is a... Man, he's, one thing I will say about Craig personally is he is for the people. Wow. Uh, and I think that was really one of those things that uh, the coach just touched on about him basically being blackballed out the league because of his views. And it was not only the disagreement he had with Michael Jordan, but also the letter and the dashiki he wore to the White House to give to uh, George Bush about the whole Rodney King situation. So... I think that was the biggest key that uh, he didn't get a phone call no more. He actually had a lawsuit as well against the league for being blackballed. Wow! So did he? Did he win that lawsuit or? Well, absolutely not. I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> for forty million dollars in the early nineties, it wasn't. Nah, he wasn't gonna get that. Interesting. Go ahead, Greg. I was just gonna say he truly was um, Colin Kaepernick. In his time. Wow. I mean, not as great as Colin Kaepernick was, but there was no reason why he should not have been in the league. You, you, At that time, you look around for somebody who could do what he does or did. There's no reason for him not to be in the league. I mean, he should have been. And he let it run for, I think, three or four years before that lawsuit to say, hey, here I am. Come on. But nobody picked him up. There was also commentary that Jim Clements, who was an assistant coach with the Bulls at the time, 
basically told him one one uh, man to man, you're not with us because of your commentary mm-hmm. on the NBA players not being or not trying to wield their influence. Um, and so, and and there was another GM that told him, hey, uh, brothers have to earn a paycheck. And I can't remember what, what his name is right now, but basically he told him, listen, we've got, we can't do anything with you. You're, uh, at this point, you're untouchable. Wow, that's deep. Corey, go ahead and touch on it. You know, and the final thought to that, too, is I think the timing. You know, Colin Kaepernick's timing is a lot different than, than Craig Hodges. Um, at that time, sports athletes, professional athletes were – just supposed to do that, and that's that. Mm. Uh, you had Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, who was completely blackballed from the league. Um, anybody in NFL, baseball, any major sport, they spoke out, they were shut down. And unfortunately, I think that's what happened to Craig Hodges. Man. Yeah, for sure. That, 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 yeah, that is unfortunate. So a lot of touch points there uh, with Craig Hodges. For those of you guys that are listening, um, Craig Hodges was a phenomenal player. As they listed, two-time world champion, three-time three points. I mean, this guy should have been playing, but uh, because he spoke out. Uh, and then, obviously, when you talk about Black Jesus, not too many people liking that. So, <laughs> uh, uh, so let, let's move on. Um, MJ, he will always be brought up in that whole GOAT conversation. Greatest player of all times, okay? And then LeBron is always like the next obvious. Uh, we saw today in Bleacher Report, they had MJ at number one and and LeBron James at number two. Uh, but the point that we want to bring home is how special was Kobe Bean Bryant? How special was this guy? And how is it that he's being left out of the combo by so many people all across the globe? Uh, Damon, can you touch on that? Yeah, that that's a disagreement. You know, I, I'm a Cleveland guy. Die, die for Cleveland. But you can't put LeBron ahead of Kobe. I mean, you, you just can't, you know, uh, Kobe's five championships, you know, you know, Mike six. I mean, when you, like Kobe said in that last episode, when you see Mike, you see me. Mm. And that's, that's, that's real. The other thing is just the, the, the ultimate competitive drive. Now to play in the league, obviously you can't last if you ain't got that competitive drive. Yeah. Kobe's drive was unmatched. And, you know, that was the one thing living and dying with the Cavs that I used to always just be pissed about is that LeBron would never have that takeover. Never uh, had that takeover. While he was and in Cleveland? When he was in Cleveland, yep. Until his last couple years. Until his last couple years. But by then, it was over with. But there's no way you can say you can say LeBron's ahead of Kobe. Mm, mm, okay. Cordell, can you touch on that? You're a Kobe Bryant fan, yeah? I like Kobe. Who, okay. who doesn't? But, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, Kobe's greatness is different than LeBron's greatness. Obviously, it was a different era. You know, Kobe coming in 96, LeBron coming in, what, 03? And it was just different phases. Like, LeBron came into a team that 
wasn't really, you know, structured. You know, he wasn't a playoff team his rookie his rookie season. You know, Colby came in, had to earn his stripes. You know, he was playing against Jordan in the All-Star games, you know. LeBron never had that matchup. But also, I feel like his competitive drive is a little different than LeBron's, you know. Not taking anything away from LeBron, but he's the ultimate team player. He, he makes the right play. But Kobe was just a a fierce competitor. He was a killer. You know, like he wanted to win. And something I heard from the Kobe Bryant Memorial that Shaq said, Shaq wanted the ball in the post. Kobe wouldn't feed it to him. Kobe told him to get it off to get a rebound. Like, he didn't care who it was. He was, he was making sure, you know, his presence was known. You know, no matter what center point guard was around him, the entire team knew that he, he meant business at all times. In practice, in games, all-star games, didn't matter. He was going at you. Excellent, excellent. Anybody else want to touch on the whole Kobe Bryant thing? Leali's coming in to say good night. Say good night, guys. Good night. Um, uh... Good night. Good night. Hey, only thing I got to say about that is what Coach James said. Um, hey, Kobe Coach said Shay. that he doesn't have his fam- uh, five championship rings without MJ. Coach um, said. You know, every, what everybody said, great, great points. Kobe came into the league just like MJ. I'm going into the gym, practice facility. Hey, I want to be the best. I'm challenging the best player out there on the court right now. And that's what he did to each and every person that he played with. So, kudos to Kobe. I put Kobe way, way before uh, uh, LeBron James. Um, I mean, just hands down. You know, and, and I'll, I'll chime in on that too. But to echo what all you guys said was, if my life was on the line and I needed two guys, one or two guys to make the shot, to keep my life a lot going, I'm either picking Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Ooh. And it doesn't it doesn't matter. Line it up. Ooh. If they have to beat that guy one on one or one on five, and those two guys show they would cut the right leg off to win a game. My third guy, and this might be controversial, is Larry Bird. It'd be the three that I would pick to win a game for me. Interesting. Anytime. Interesting. Coach Leach, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to jump in on this. Um, I saw somewhere, or actually maybe somebody said on the radio, the closest thing that you will find in NBA history to Michael Jordan is Kobe, and that is in play and in mentality. I saw the same Bleacher Report that you were talking about, Brandon, and that report had the top 50 of, and it was done in 2017, top 50 of all time. Uh, It had Jordan 1, and it was statistical, with a little bit of championships and other things to consider. Uh, Jordan won, LeBron two, Kobe 14. Yeah. Uh, clearly. I'm just trying to create some controversy here. We got everybody that's got an opinion, so. Hey. Let's make that. Who was three? three? Clearly, whoever wrote that, uh, that, that Bleacher Report article was drinking in Cleveland. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> down at the flats. It's right down there, Bart. Number three, to Damon's point, I got to go back to my list. Number three was Kareem. Oh. Could you back it up? Four was Magic. Bird was five. Shaq was six. Tim Duncan was seven. Oh. Bill Russell was eight. Wilt was nine. Steph Curry was ten. Ooh. Oscar Robertson was 11, David Robinson was 12, and Hakeem was 13, and then Kobe at 14. Wow. Now that's 
That's tough. Like, like like that that list. Instead, of, instead of statistics, it sounds like impact. We had the biggest impact at the time. The, the hook shot, the MJ influence. That's what you sound like to me. It don't sound like a statistical. Okay, you know, so. Straight down the line championship. Interesting. Nah. So, Mike, you're out in L.A. Um, when Kobe passed, uh, what was the what was the feel like out in LA? Man, um, I'll just explain my story as quickly as I can. But um, I was I coach youth on Sundays, and that's what Kobe and everybody do out here. As far as on Sunday, Sunday is basketball. I don't know where it is everywhere else as far as youth. But anyway, um, I was actually going to my game at about nine. My game was at eleven. It happened, I think, about 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and it was foggy, the whole thing that you saw on TV. But, man, we were in the middle of a game when we got the news, and how I personally got the news, The um, my, one of my little kids actually was playing with his dad's phone behind me on the bench. He was on the younger team. He wasn't playing. And he actually handed his father the phone, and it was like Kobe died. And it's just like, basically, as we looked up read, reading it, the entire crowd, it was almost like a wave. Like, everybody got it at the same time. And luckily, it was at the end of the game, you know, when we all got the news. So they kind of just shut it down for the day. But, man, it was, it was insane. Like, just phone calls after phone calls, man. I had 50 missed text messages, which was so crazy. My phone was actually at the desk where you check in at home and charge. So I didn't get anything until the little kid told me. Wow. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, John, can you touch on the fact that Kobe is just being left out of the conversation when you talk about greatest players of all times? Uh, they have Allen Iverson in an interview saying, did everybody forget about the Black Mamba and what he brought to the game? He was like the second coming after Michael Jordan. What can you say about Kobe being left out of the conversation? Well, uh, thought comes to mind. I mean, kind of just when the transition of, I mean, Kobe came in the league, what, 96? Jordan had a second retirement after the 98 season. You know, I kind of think about, you know, were people kind of ready to accept another budding superstar? You know, with Jordan kind of being at the end of his career, six championships, all that stuff, were people ready to kind of say, oh, is Kobe the next coming? Mm. You know, maybe some people were, maybe some people weren't. Uh, you know, me being 29 years old, I still remember watching the dunk contest when he did the between the legs. And, you know, I thought that was probably at the time one of the coolest things I've ever seen, you know. Uh, and then, you know, between, you know, Kobe being coming to the league right around at the end of Jordan, LeBron at 2003, you know, maybe Kobe was kind of sandwiched in between the, the Michael Jordan, LeBron phenomena. And obviously when LeBron was coming to the league, you know, uh, young players were being covered more. You know, it was, it was a little bit more than just the McDonald's All-American game. And, you know, the AAU circuits and everything started becoming bigger probably right around then. Good point. Good point. Anybody else can touch on that? Mike, go ahead. One more thing. I don't think we give enough credit to the coaches of those players. you got to look at the reason Kobe definitely is more of a carbon copy than Mike. It's the same system, the same triangle offense, the same coach, the same setup of everything. So I think... A lot of people don't give that credit. Of course, not signing with LeBron James, but LeBron, I don't think, has ever had a coach or a system where it allows him to do or buy into that offense the way Kobe and Mike had to buy into the triangle offense and, you know, work on certain angles and moves to, to be a threat at all times. 
Interesting point. Uh, anybody else want to touch on the fact that Kobe is just getting left out of the conversation? Um, he, I mean, I, I'm a big MJ fan. I like the I like uh, LeBron James and what he's doing for the game now. Uh, we welcome Coach Atanasoff in the conversation. Uh, but I gotta I gotta say that for me, I don't like to consider players that are currently playing in the greatest player of all time talk. So LeBron is great, but I don't want to put him in that greatest of all player time talk right now because he's still playing. Maybe he surpasses Michael when he's done, but I feel like to put him in the conversation is just, it's unfair to LeBron, and then it's unfair to all the players that came before him. Uh, so anybody else that want to just touch on how Kobe Bryant is getting left out of the conversation. Greg, you got something? So this is Greg's first time to the podcast. He's a little shy. And okay, I got it. Now. He got his mic on. All right. Um, Kobe, for me, I, I, I do consider Kobe uh, number two behind Jordan. Uh, and I'm partial to who I grew up with and who I watched. And, um, I, I admit to that, but why he's not, you know, why LeBron oftentimes is considered above him. The only thing that I can I can think of is there was a stretch where Kobe did not win championships in between Shaq, in between Paul Gasol and, and, and Phil Jackson. And uh, I don't think this way, but maybe some people do, that there was um, a period where he didn't win championships, wasn't competing for championships. And LeBron, I, I mean, I don't know how many Cleveland Cleveland teams I watched him uh, lead and looked at that group and said, what, how, how did he get there? How was he winning? And I don't know if, if people look at that. Um, it's the only thing I can think of. I do think Kobe's number two. Mm, okay. Anybody else can speak to. Okay, I got one question. Will LeBron become the greatest of all time if he reaches the, the if he surpasses the scoring list of of, of uh, Jabbar at thirty thirty eight thousand? Does that, that does, does that make him the goat? Mm. I'm gonna flat out. Me personally, I'm gonna flat out say no. He's already up there. He's been there since high school. No. I mean, like you said, I mean everybody's saying we're forgetting Kobe Bryant. What Kobe Bryant has done. Um, who's mentored Kobe, who's taught Kobe, and go back to Kobe's being coached by the same person MJ was coached by. I mean, I, I, I was reading an article where it said um, Kobe asked MJ every move that he did all the way down to whether or not he's going to put how much weight on the left foot versus the right foot when he turns <laughs> around and shoot that jump shot. So, I mean, a scoring title? No. Because when MJ came in the league, everybody's like, well, I mean, he ain't seven foot. I mean, he can score, but is that going to win him championships? Same thing he's been talking about in his documentary. So LeBron can have that title. Um, I'll put Kobe in front of him any day. I, I think what that scoring title speaks to is the longevity, right? If, if, if LeBron had said that, you know, he's had a long, great career. But when you look at greatest, right, we line it up. You want that guy that... It dominated their generation and nobody dominated a generation like Michael Jordan 
nobody did. Uh, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell. Yeah, those are the guys that dominated their generations. I mean, LeBron arguably might not even, you know, you got Kevin Durant, too, who's got an argument for the best player during some of that span, that time span of their careers together. So for me, I don't think that scoring title changes anything. It's more so the longevity and showing that he was able to sustain his excellence for a long time. He's a very good player, great player. And if I was lining up a perfect athlete that I wanted to run out and could play any sport, LeBron probably is that. But I, I, he, you know, I would have took head to Wayne Wade take our last shot in the Miami Heat Finals game. Hey, Brandon, can I get Damon's and Cues? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Coach James. Yeah, so I, I think one thing is we all have we all have kind of like fallen. I would, I don't want to say victim, but it is to the media built up of LeBron since he was in high school, and. And that could be a reason why he's paying the number two. Like, if you put LeBron and Kobe against each other in terms of marketability and, you know, all of the fanfare, then, yes, LeBron definitely is way ahead of Kobe in that aspect. When we talk about just straight purely basketball, no. So I think that you got it. People are probably considering that as well. Hmm. That's a good point. Q. I kind of feel the same way, but, I mean, there's so many variables that go into this. Like, you got Kobe sticking with the Lakers for, you know, 20 seasons. You got LeBron teaming up with, you know, multiple superstars. So it's – you really can take it whichever way you want. It depends on what type of fan you are. If, you, if you're a LeBron fan, of course, you're going to cherish everything that he does, whether it's, you know, negative in someone else's eyes or positive. But, I mean, personally, I've always been a competitor. I would never personally go team up with people just, you know, so I could win. I, I kind of got that Jordan feel like I want to compete against the best and, you know, play against all the competition. And I want to earn it the hard way. I don't want the easy route. So that's kind of how I feel. Okay. So just can I have – are you guys all in agreement with that where you would want to, you know, go the hard route and win it, not team up with, with everybody? Can I just get a thumbs up by everybody? Thumbs up? Okay. And we're going to get to you, Mike. So I got, look like I got a lot of thumbs up. Uh, However, if you guys go to the local YMCA or, or the park, how many of you guys look for the best players in the gym? I was just drafting a team I'd take Kobe before LeBron just because I think of competitor and getting the job done similar to Jordan um, I just think he was a winner and so while you could build a basketball player you might want him to to look like LeBron and be that strong and physical and athletic and even unselfish that's great but um, you know if I'm trying to win a championship give me Kobe mm, okay Greg, you had a touch, uh, one point on that one too? Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment to Dennis. Dennis was so right. Um, when Think about the hype that LeBron had while he was in high school, coming into the league, which was um, unbelievable. And that may be something that carried him through uh, and why people and, and fans or whatever are so in tune to Kobe and, or LeBron and thinking LeBron is better. I mean, LeBron had a lot of hype. Okay. John. I love what uh, uh, Coach Coleman said about, you know, it depends on the generations. 
True. And, uh, and um, you know, obviously we, we talk a lot about the, uh, the Last Dance. And episode five, you know, talks about Jordan's shoe contract. Ooh. You know, so the game, and we talked about marketability a little bit, you know, Coach James, between LeBron and everything. Uh, and I love what you said, Coach Morris, about how we're not going to com- put the current players in the greatest of all time talk. You know, they haven't, they haven't finished their careers yet. But what I will say about KD, Steph Curry, you know, guys that are playing now, they're a true sign of where the game or how, how the game has evolved. Mm. And um, I loved episode five of the Last Dance where we talked about the shoe contract. You know, obviously MJ's Air Jordan one was the biggest market, you know, marketability thing for an individual player of its time. Uh, and I read something this week where, as of January of this year, there are, let's see, as of January of this year, there are sixteen players who have signature shoes right now. Sixteen only. Six, sixteen, I believe. Is, is the article I read 16 players under seven different brands and you know just using my memory you know obviously Jordan you know in 1984 the Converse Weapon had all them dudes Magic, Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas uh, Kevin McHale, Bernard King Mark McGuire all endorsing one shoe you know none of their names were on it Jordan had the AJ1 and then you know the next uh, marketing comparison you probably make is the, the Air Penny in 95 with uh, Chris Rock doing the a little penny, mm, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. like kind of like Mars Blackman with Spike Lee. Yep, yep. And then, um, you know, it's just it's crazy how far the game has come. And guys like KD, obviously, all these guys currently they have all the talent in the world and everything, but they're definitely a true sign of how far the game has come and how it reached globally and everything like that. Excellent point. Excellent point. Anybody want to close us out uh, with the Kobe situation and how he's getting left out of the conversation when it comes to the GOAT talk. Nobody. Okay. I'll close this out. Uh, okay, Corey, please close us out. I'm not going to quite close it. I'm going to throw it back to you, B. You know, when we talk about, go back to the marketability, there's still the number one selling shoe of all NBA players is Michael Jordan. We'll throw that out there. So, most marketable player of all time. But when you talk about Kobe being left out of conversation, I think part of that is he spans two very rich and era populations of the NBA, right? Today's NBA, more media, more TV money than there's ever been. The 80s and the 90s where you had just the number of Hall of Famers that came out of those two eras, maybe seconds and none. And he kind of spanned that, bridged that gap. Him and Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, uh, a lot of those guys of that era of that draft class, Vince Carter, kind of bridged that gap between all those those groups and Tim Duncan. And um, I, I I truly believe if when we look at it, when we're all said and done, we're 80 years old. Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, those are at the top of your list of the best competitors of all time. Excellent, excellent. You know what? I can't even come after that. But I'm just going to say that, uh, again, I got to repeat it, that the players that are playing now really can't be considered in that that greatest of all players conversation until they retire. Um, I think LeBron James is a is an excellent player. And, of course, he's going to go down as one of the greatest players ever. Uh, but let's wait until they're done before we put them in that, that, that talk and to even consider them one of the greatest of all times. 
Uh, so for me right now, it still goes Michael Jordan as, as the greatest player of all times. And, and it's crazy with these young guys, too. When you say that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all times, they automatically think you're speaking negative on LeBron James. Um, it, it, it just blows my mind um, that everybody gets so offensive. But it also speaks to the game of basketball, and that's why it's the greatest game that's ever, ever been uh, created. Uh, because everybody really gets caught up in that. So uh, one last question uh, to end this first segment of the show. Uh, and we're just going to pause right now because this is where uh, sponsorship comes in. Uh, so this part of the show has been sponsored by nobody. Uh, so in the future, we will be looking for sponsors to cover that that spot. So it's a quick break. Uh, maybe Charles Barkley can get us that Hyundai, uh, Chuck, we, once you hear this tomorrow morning, when you, when you listen to this, uh, look out for us one time. Um, so if you were born before the nineties, you probably have witnessed Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Jordan, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, and now LeBron James. When you're talking about the greatest player of all times or kind of passing that torch to these next up-and-coming players, who comes to mind? Is there, is there like is there any room for Steph Curry? I know Jeff, uh, Greg read the, the Bleacher Report earlier uh, kind of talking about Steph Curry was in that greatest player of all times. I'm not sure what number he was, but should KD be considered uh, one of the greatest of all times? Uh, coming up, and then who's the next up-and-coming player that we can consider that's going to carry the league? Because LeBron's going to be done in a few years, possibly. I don't know. It looks like he's not going to be done for the next 10 years. But who would be that next up-and-coming player that's going to carry the league? Go ahead, Mike. I think Trey Young has a chance. Trey Young, the guard from Atlanta? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, as far as where the game is going, it's a, you know it's it's a it's a pull on the show type of game, and he fits right into that uh, fast pace. He's a guard, you know. So I think he has a chance. How come? How come people are not really putting Kawhi, you know, in that mix? You know, is it because he's just so quiet and reserved for when they talk about? Get job done. I mean, you you have to put Kawhi. I mean, it's just a no brainer, man. Interesting, Kawhi Leonard. Nobody brings up Kawhi Leonard. That's true. I put I put Kawhi in that mix. I yeah. think that because of the type of person he is, that's the reason why people don't really speak on him. But game wise and his driving and his winning mentality, he's most definitely like up there. You know what I'm saying? You've seen it last year. He took Toronto to win the whole finals. You know what I'm saying? They wouldn't have won that without him. Uh, they wouldn't even won it with uh, DeMar DeRozan, I don't think. So, I mean, I put him I put him in that mix. I think it's just the, the person he is, the reason why people don't speak on him. You know what I'm saying? So, I agree. I like him. I put him. I think he, I think he has the mentality that Kobe them got. I agree with Coach Tony. Kawhi, Kawhi guy. Nobody really talks about him. You know, he won championships, multiple championships out in uh, San Antonio. Went to Toronto, won eight championships with that team. 
versus what he had out in, you know, San Antonio. Um, we're not talking about him because where he is. Um, and then you don't hear about him other than the fact that he's not out here signing these big shoe deals, even though he signed another shoe deal with somebody else. Um, he's not talked about. Um, we're, we're not seeing all the commercials. Uh, he didn't come out of high school. One thing I want to add is we, we keep forgetting that when we're talking about Kobe and LeBron, they both came out of high school. Laura Marion and then where, you know, LeBron came from. Um, hey, LeBron or uh, Kobe did his thing in Philly, just like, you know, LeBron did his thing out in uh, Cleveland. So we're forgetting a whole bunch of stuff here, man. The younger generation isn't seeing that we had. Interesting. You know, what the you know what the difference is between the two, though? Technology. You didn't really see Kobe on the, on, on the internet. You know, you know what I'm saying? He had spent stuff coming out of high school. LeBron was everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So that's why. That's why. That's why I mixed the two up because of the the limelight LeBron had and the and the Kobe had it, but you just you know he played in a McDonald's game and all the other little stuff, but you didn't really see that because of the technology. Interesting. So again, just to get back to the question, who's the next up and coming? Who can carry the lead, Corey? Well, I think you know, I think Kawhi is up there. You're right, and I think he's a little bit older than the guy I'm going to mention is is Giannis. Um, he, you know, physically the most talented player in the NBA right now. Physically, um, his skill still has to catch up to that to that athleticism. Young. And what I like is he's got that edge that Michael and Kobe have talked about. They don't they don't like the people that they're playing against. They want to beat them every single time they line it up. Um, I look at him, young guys like Jason Tatum, um, some of these guys that really have a ton of ability. They're just they're really young and they're slow. Um, and they're going to need guys like Kawhi to kind of bridge that gap between generations, kind of like Kobe did. Um, you know, I think. It's time to time will tell for some of these other guys, Steph Curry, KD. When we talk about some of those guys, and then you, you know you've got Anthony Davis. Anthony mm. Davis is another guy that's yep. really talented, still very young. You know he's 26 years old. It, it's crazy to think, you know that type of type of talent. You got Kawhi at 28. You've got you've got Anthony Davis at 26. You've got Giannis at 24, 25 years old. It just it's the, the talent in the league is sick. It's kind of reminiscent of the late 80s to the early 90s when you had all these great players coming through. Excellent. Uh, John, last one. Coach Corey, uh, I'm going to use a little bit of my Bucks fandom bias here, but I love that you brought up Giannis. Uh, I think a lot of people like uh, his humble beginnings coming from Greece, you know, being a street vendor and it's just attitude and his uh, the way he plays and you know just talking to the media. He's just a sponge. He's soaking up everything as he's as he's coming up every year. You see a different evolution in his game. You know, for example, I'm going to talk about the three point shot because that's just me. But you know, a big thing coming into this year was, hey, Kyle Culver's on my team. I'm going to take shots with him. I'm going to learn from him. And you know, when you have a player that has the impact of teams like the Celtics. Like, yeah, we're going to build a wall against them. That's how we're going to be. You know, when you have a one single player that makes a whole team make adjustments like that, you know, that's obviously a big impact. And he's so young and interesting. Uh, so interesting. So coach Atanasoff, uh, you did bring up the fact, uh, you know, bringing up the fact that Van Exel is playing 
in an all-star game right now on ESPN, which is probably uh, the first game that Kobe played in. I think they sent like four Lakers, maybe five Lakers, to the all-star game that year. Uh, so uh, Coach Van Exel did send a question in for all of you guys, and we want to hear it. That's how we want to close out this first segment. Um, so he, he listened to to the podcast, and he's saying – for each one of you coaches, um, what drives you every day? And I'm going to call on each one of you guys. Uh, Coach James, we're going to start with you. What drives you? To prove everybody wrong, that internal motivation. Ooh. That's what drives me, to prove everybody wrong. To prove every AD that never gave me a job, that didn't hire me. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Coach Coleman, we're going to come to you. Mm, I would say growth. Just being able to do what I do best and and grow within to it. So I guess it's more of dealing with underrated talent to helping guys succeed to the level of the point where nobody expected them to play at but me being able to develop them and get them to the next level, but also growing at the same time, I think that's what drives me most. Excellent. Mike, what drives you every day? Oh, man. Um, what drives me every day is really just the, the process, man, uh, of, of what I do every day with these kids um, and just really just trying to help that player that maybe nobody wants to give a shot that I can make help and line them up and, and get him, you know, on the right track. That's what that's what drives me every day, basically. Okay. Uh, Jason, Coach Tannisoff, what drives you every day? Um, I'd say early on it was just to kind of selfishly prove myself. Um, you know, I was more of a football, baseball guy in high school and college um, and kind of just walked into the situation at Prairie. Um, but over the last five, six years, it's just trying to get us to not just be a soccer school or a tennis or golf school and just develop a consistent program where we can compete year in and year out. And um, for the first time in a while, you know, we have basketball first kids and they're a ton of fun to be around. And, uh, you know, work, work is stressful. So those two hours I get a day with them are, are really just my time to enjoy them and they keep me young. So. Um, just keeping the program going in the right direction. Excellent. Um, Cordero. And Cordero actually had a chance to be up close uh, with Coach Van Exel while down uh, in the D-League with the the Texas Legends. So he's asking this question, what drives you? I mean, you're a lefty from Kenosha. He's a lefty from Kenosha. What drives you every day, Cordero? opportunity just to be better you know there's so many you know kids young adults you know collegiate athletes pro athletes you know people who aren't aren't even athletes just the opportunity just to become a better person better individual better player you know better mentor coach better person in general just if you can help someone you know off of the the fact that you can become a better person yourself by doing it you know it helps others as well so Pretty much do what you can to help yourself so you can be able to give back to those who didn't have the opportunities that you had. 
Ooh, excellent, excellent. Uh, Coach, say it again. No, I said that's real. Yeah, yeah, that's real. Uh, Coach Young, say it young, sorry, Cordell. We got two Youngs on the line. Just to drive the motivation, um, uh, where I come from, um, you know, staying in Kenosha, being able to be uh, coaching at Bradford, um, determination, and just to help the under uh, – privileged kids out um when i was one of bradford it was way way different than the things that i see now um it's it's tough um you know my drive um you underprivileged kids um th that's what i'm doing it for man i'm doing it for the kids excellent uh johnny act what drives you um I've been extremely fortunate to have good coaches all the way on up, good teachers, good coaches, uh, which is why I wanted to go into the field of, you know, being a teacher and a coach. So, you know, Brandon, you're going to remember the name Kelly McCormick, obviously, playing yep. with your brother Nick. Yep. You know, he was great. You know, obviously I played for Coach James for a year. Uh, being, you know, even as a coach too, just learning from people like Greg Leach said and anybody I've worked with, Dennis, for a year. So just taking those positive experiences I've had and being in a position to where I'm fortunate enough to um, to share those with kids. And, you know, being a high school kid, you know, nowadays it's tougher than – there's so many other things that go along, social media and the whole mental health and everything like that, social health. So if I can be a fun two hours or a memorable two hours to a kid's day, maybe once, twice a week, whatever, whatever the case may be, you know, that, that makes me happy. It tells me I'm doing the right thing. And Coach Tanisoff, you coached me in baseball, too. That was positive experience, too. But, Excellent. Uh, you know, just, just making impacts on kids. Excellent. Uh, Greg Leach. Um, so, just to expand, I'm a basketball coach and I'm a sales manager. And uh, just helping people reach their goals every day, um, whether it's just a bit of advice, just talking them through a tough situation, whatever it may be. Um, and, and to bring it back to basketball, I remember having a conversation with somebody and I asked them, what would send chills down your spine? Uh, a great steal and going up for a dunk and the crowd going crazy or having a group of five kids break a press and score a layup. Mm. He said it would obviously be a dunk in front of a big crowd. And I said, hey, I've had it happen. It, it, for me, really, it is breaking a press and bringing five kids together to achieve a goal. Um, that that sends chills down my spine. Wow. Coach Corey. Well, first of all, I, I got to say, the kids today that are working with all of you guys, they're fortunate as could ever be to be with any and every one of you guys because uh, all of you guys took every single thing I was going to say. Um, you know, my thing has always been paying it forward. You know, my if I wouldn't be where I am with the, the people around me, um, my high school coach picked me up and helped me move forward and, and to become the man I am today, along with my folks and, and my family. So my family paying it forward and wanting to give children, kids, young men and women the opportunity to move up to wherever their goals are, achieve the goals they want to achieve um, while also teaching them what it means to be a good person and trying to model that for them. Um, without that modeling, I, I don't know that I'm here today talking about you guys. So uh, I think 
it, uh, just paying it forward. That's the best answer I could give anybody. Excellent, excellent. Uh, for me, uh, what drives me is just uh, living in my purpose and for my purpose uh, every single day. I often tell kids uh, it's okay to have dreams, but dreams, um, at some point you have to wake up and that dream is gone. Uh, you can have a vision, uh, but at some point your vision gets blurry. Um, and But if you have a purpose and you find your purpose and you live in your purpose and for your purpose every single day, uh, God will take you far beyond any dreams you ever imagined. And he'll allow you to see anything you ever had in your vision. And uh, that's that's what drives me every single day is just living in my purpose. Uh, because I hope that I inspire somebody, whether it's a parent or a kid, um, to to just be more every single day. Um, that's and, and that, that's a deep question for me. Uh, you know, just living in your purpose every single day. So again, appreciate uh, Coach Van Exel giving us that question to throw to all of you guys um, as we close out that first segment uh, of of this podcast. Moving on to the second segment is 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 where we really want to hit home because uh, we I hope that there are parents and high school, middle school, elementary school, college, pro basketball players that are that will listen to this podcast and be able to grab some nuggets uh, from all of you guys. Okay. Go ahead, John. I'll just go ahead and start off, you know, just from with the uh, freshman level kind of perspective. But, uh, you know, I remember being a player uh, 12, 13 years ago or whatever, and the varsity team was really important. You know, so I kind of I try to kind of re- reiterate that, and you know, you're playing for something a little bit bigger, but at the same time, we break it down. I mean, those talks that we have one on one with kids the last night of tryouts are the most important talks you'll have probably the season. You know, I like to talk to everybody, whether they're cut or on the team, because especially if they're on the team, you can tell them right then and there, like, hey, this is where we envision you. You know, but obviously, day to day in practice with the feedback and everything, but. uh you know, I just like to give as much positive reinforcement as possible. You know, even after losses, I'll just say, hey, you did a good job rebounding tonight or you did a good job, you know, doing what your strengths are, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So just trying to, you know, stay positive with it and keep them, keep them playing the sport as long as possible. Excellent. Okay, we're going to go right in my grid. Uh, Jason, we're coming to you. Uh, yeah, to get them to buy in. Um, I think slowly but surely over the last nine years, we've been able to, to kind of build a culture and, and some set expectations. But, um, you know, having Dave Rail help out for four years, you know, defense was, was non-negotiable. We really missed his present, this presence this past season, but uh, hoping to have him back next year. And offensively, I mean, we are truly a, an equal opportunity team, and they get the hint real quick because um, they'll be sitting next to us if, if they take any of my turn shots and. I think the best example we have of that was, uh, you know, when a ton of coaches are coming to watch J.C. Uh, Butler a couple of years ago and, and Pat Baldwin at Milwaukee and Irvine's coaches and DePaul's coaches were, you know, they all always kind of talked about 
they were shocked that we kind of had what they referred to as an equal opportunity offense, which I've never referred to it as that. But um, just getting buying into playing in our system and, and playing a certain way, and we adapt to our personnel, obviously, but um, we don't ever want it to to revolve around one or two guys. So um, just drilling at home the, that first month of practice and doing so much shell with no dribbles or, or you know, one dribble max allowed and then buying into that ball movement. Um, and usually, you know, it takes till around Christmas or so, but typically once the new year rolls around, we, uh, we got it going. Excellent. comes to our building and the fire alarm goes off and we got problems. <laughs> I do remember that. I said, wow, this is a part of their plan. <laughs> Get the fire alarm going and we got to, we in a groove. Oh man. Uh, Coach Leach. <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of guys on this call that I'd love to hear from. Um, but buying into the system, to me, means being willing to fit your talents into a team game. Uh, it's very general. Uh, the point I'd like to make is you, you're not really going to get there unless you develop that trust um, with all the kids. And um, when, you, when, you, when you talk about your system and your beliefs, you better be right. Because if you're not right, things will go left quickly. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Coach Coleman. Um, I think at the college level, buying into the system is all about how you recruit. I think that when you recruit, you recruit according to how you want to play the game of basketball. Mm. Uh, you also can you also run into the players where you recruit, and when you set down the guidelines and you let them know what how you want to be how you want them to play and how they're going to be successful in your program. Some of them don't don't add up because of the selfishness and the way they've been playing before they got to your system. So I think buying to the system is basically about. Uh, the players you bring in, um, the connections you build with them as far as uh, setting, setting the guidelines and the domains on what you want to do coming in as a, uh, as a program. Um, I think, I mean, then that's it. I mean, I think, I think most players that, that want to transfer and, and go, and go somewhere else is because of the system. So, um, I think most important on the, on, on the system part is at the college level is as far as like the recruiting process and what you're bringing in. Um, a lot of programs that bring in players bite bullets, and because of something that they do that they do special and bringing them in and trying to change them, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you can lose lose out on whether scholarship money or lose out on spots and uh, lose out on. Um, relationships and atmospheres with the teams uh, because of the system and and what they don't what they don't buy in as far as what you're trying to do. So I think I mean I think I think you can win a coach. We can't hear you. We lost your we lost your volume, coach. Still lost your volume. We can come back to you and let you let you. It's hard to maneuver, huh? Okay, we got you back now. Go ahead. 
it's hard to maneuver at the high school level because you don't want to disappoint certain players by kicking them off the team or or um, disciplining them a certain way because of how they were re- react. Uh, so I think it's I think uh, bonding to systems is different between between when it comes to college and high school. Okay, appreciate it, uh, Coach Young. Uh, buying into the system as um, I mean, it's it's a whole um, life experience, culture, um, what your environment is, and then uh, it's a big part for me is because uh, I'm grateful that uh, Coach Leach allowed me to come to Bradford and uh, a coach um, and you know uh, at Bradford and just just to see what the kids are actually doing. Um, I go back. And, you know, I had some uh, conversations with some of the kids that I've coached um, since I've been there over the three years. Um, when, I, when, when I was going to school there back in, the, you know, uh, the 90s, uh, late 90s, it was uh, we probably had uh, roughly 50 to 60 kids come out. Um, I don't think our numbers are like that. Um, so it's, 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 uh, it's, it's tough. Um, but um, my experience is just uh, it's just uh, based on um, life experience. You know, uh, I'm grateful for um, the people that I have around me um, in the atmosphere where I'm at right now um, because I was there. I was in their shoes. So um, that that's an experience that I can bring to the kids. Uh, Cordell. Uh, I feel like it's a, a singular term, you know, unity. You, know, you you got your players, you got your leaders that you you know you see that you know are doing the the extra work. You know you gotta develop that culture. You know in the summer before the season starts, before the preseason starts, and it, it starts in the summer. It's gonna lead into the preseason. The preseason is gonna lead into the season, and then so on. You know playoffs, and if you make the state or national national run, you know it's gonna just blend in with all the players. And if the right people. You know, who are getting the most playing time? If they're, you know, setting the right examples, the rest of the team's gonna follow. You know, especially you know, either the best player, the point guard, whoever's the most vocal, that's that's where it's gonna come from. So I would say unity. <clears throat> Coach James. Yeah. I, so I, I would have to say, like with John and Q, you know, me reflecting back. You know, I, I was a horrible coach at Bradford because if you would ask me this question, then my answer is going to be totally different than what my answer would be now. And a big piece of that is before you can have kids buy into a system, like you have to have a roadmap. Like you got to have an idea of where you want your program to go um, and, and a vision. You gotta have the kids, you gotta have everybody that's a stakeholder within your program uh, a part of that and know your vision. So in order to get kids and people to buy in, not only the kids, but the people, the community, the, the youth kids, everybody, to, to buy into the system, like you have to know um, your roadmap, you know, who you are, uh, where you wanna go, and what's your vision. And the more that you get them to understand that, I think the buying in becomes a byproduct of it. And one of the most important things that I've learned across my coaching journey is that you can never lose sight of the product 
and the product is the people in your organization. So if you if you really focus on them at the forefront, that can kind of help you know get people to buy into the system. Ooh, okay. Uh, Coach Corey, close us out. John, go ahead. You need to. I'm just going to piggyback off Corey and throw a bone to my former high school teammate, Cordell Young, here. But, you know, it's a true testament to Cordell buying into the system as a freshman, coming off the bench and scoring double digits in that national championship game, his first title as a player. So, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, John. Um, And then for me, um, you know, what buying into system means, uh, I think it honestly has to do with um, the parents and the players. I think whether it's, actually I won't even say college, specifically for high school, it just comes down to the the parents and the players and, and ultimately empowering them. Empowering them because I strongly believe that the the parents and the players are in control of the program. Um, The things that parents say to those players when they go home at night after practice or in games really have uh, an effect on players. Um, And if you don't empower those players and those parents from that very first day, you're probably going to have a struggle. It's going to be a struggle regardless, but I I strongly believe uh, 
when 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 you talk about you know buying in, you got to get the parents as well as the players to buy into your system if you want to move forward. Um, and that that just that's a that's a growing thing and an ongoing thing all the way throughout your season. And I think you go or you're successful as far as uh, your parents and players go with you, if if that makes sense. Jason, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I guess I got a question for you and uh, Coach Leash and Coach James especially. Um, I dabbled a little bit for the first time last July just helping out for two tournaments for this AU team just because we have five Prairie kids on the team. And I'm curious if it's a challenge for you guys because I know it is for me. Roles or style of play that they might do in April, May, and July. And it's, you know, you, you're asking them to play a different role or a different style or whatever the case may be for your high school team. Because to me, it's, at least in my experience, it's so different. You know, there's not game film, there's not scouting, there's only one practice a week instead of four or five. Um, and I know, Brandon, you know, you got a very talent, you know, a couple of very talented players who, who play on high level AAU teams and, and Greg and Coach James, I'm sure you do as well. I'm just curious how you guys have have handled that. Coach James. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, B. Or, or Greg. Uh, for me, I'll, I'll, um, honestly, I don't even get involved uh, when it comes to travel basketball. And for me, I don't like to say AAU. I don't want to give these those guys any credit at all. For any of these teams, these guys are all considered travel basketball teams in in my in my eyes. No credit to AAU at all. They're just somebody that supplies the insurance. Uh, so to all those travel basketball teams, um, I, I I really don't get involved as far as trying to, I guess, push players to one team or another. They're gonna go where they want to go. And my main thing is, I just want you playing in the summer. I don't care who you play with. Uh, I would love for you to play with with your players that you're going to play with in the season to kind of build that chemistry and the camaraderie uh, because those are the teams like Oak Creek and Franklin who who have successful seasons. Uh, But ultimately, I want our players playing. And I really haven't had – I mean, I'm only in my second year uh, technically as a head coach or going into my third year. So as far as travel basketball goes, it, it hasn't been an issue for me. Uh, and for the most part, all of my players are, are playing. Uh, all of our players are playing somewhere. Greg. Yeah, so um, summer, we'll see summer and fall basketball. Um, in the summer, goals are different. The goals of a, of an AAU team is different than the goals that I have. And the goals that they have are not bad. Um, I love to see kids doing things and expanding on their skill set. That's great because it means more for me in the season upcoming. Where it becomes a problem is when I can't get a kid or I struggle to get a kid then conform to team basketball. And one of the struggles that I have is, you know, a kid is able to do things in the summer that they can't do in the winter. And Getting them to understand, you just played against summer defense, where it's not, it's not, there's not a team 
defensive concept. There's not help side. You break somebody down and you get by your guy because you're more skilled, you're more talented, you're going to get a layup in the summer. In, uh, in our season, you're going to find somebody sitting in the lane waiting for you. Mm, and it's what do you do after that? Do you have a do you have a finishing move to score or to dish it to somebody else? Um, so I would love I I love to see, but being able to capture that kid coming back after that and say okay, now yeah, and that there's now somebody scouting you, and there's. There's going to be a team defense. They're going to be waiting for you in the help side. Now, how do you adjust? And sometimes kids get into the situation where they've done it and they were so successful, and then they look at what you're saying to them and they don't understand. Mm. And then that's part of the problem you have when it comes to buy-in. Because I've been so successful, but kids at the young mind of 15, 16, 17 don't understand what they're playing against. Coach. So, Brandon, it's interesting that you said that with the with the AAU, and so um, you know, coming back from, from coming to Division One level and saying, "All right, I'm gonna go back to high school." You know, my, my one of my main is any kid that I can help get a free education, like that's my drive too. And so, a big piece of that is placing or trying to help kids get on the right on the right AU team because I think we all know like nowadays if you're if you're somewhere on the border between D two or D one, like you gotta be on the right summer program so that you're playing in front of the right uh the right people. And then that, that's just a reality. You're gonna get more coaches to come see you in June and July now than you will ever get to come see us play It's just a reality. And so, you know, a lot of what I try to do, if I have kids that are at that level, like, to be honest, I, I really try to help them get on the right team that's going to fit them. Now, ain't every kid built for EYBL. That's just reality. They think they <laughs> is, but they're not. And, I, and I'm pretty honest about that. Um, but where that comes back into the season is, I guess my view on it is, I love it, like, when my guys play with higher-level guys, because it only helps our program. It, it, it really does. Um, and when my point guard this year played with that EYBL team, he came back a different player. Um, just because of the level of competition that he played with every day in practice. So it, it is a double-edged sword. Um, it is a close thing to, to, that you have to monitor, but, you know, I, I guess it's just how you view it. Interesting. Interesting. Anybody else want to touch on that that question that, that Coach Tanisov gave to us? No, thanks, guys. I mean, good answers. I think the best example, we had a real good example in receiving this year. Kamari McGee, who was named All-State, was, you know, 25 a game all summer. And at St. Catharines, averaged 11 a game because he bought in and, and was willing to play his role and gets that. It, it's just a different type of game. You have really good coaches scouting and they have game film and they're at your games taking notes and uh, I personally have had to deal with, you know, telling kids that th this isn't summer ball. It's just different. Um, so I appreciate all the thoughts. And you look at a kid like him, like you said, 
You know, I mean that he's not the first or second option, but that don't mean he's not a, a, a low major kid. Right. Because a lot of low major schools that I talk to, like, they, his name is always brought up. So, um, yeah. John, go ahead. Uh, I'm just going to go on. I'm going to bring it way back to the basics right now. I'm a big fan of fundamentals. Uh, obviously, at the freshman level, fundamentals are coached all the time. And uh, I believe they should always be coached. You know, being a baseball guy as well, you know, professionals hit off the tee. So a big part of buying in the system is, you know, number one, communicating as a coach to the player what your role is. And if they might not believe that that's their role or whatever, you give them that skill practice at what you like them to get better at. And then, you know, you give that positive feedback as well in that skill practice and hopefully build their confidence and feel more comfortable being a part of that role in that system. Interesting. Interesting. Good points. Um, so second question here for you guys, do you prefer man to man defense or zone defense? And then what percentage of college basketball teams play man-to-man defense? And then what percentage of college basketball teams play zone defense? Uh, we want to hear from everybody. Corey, go ahead and start us off. You know, when, when you talk about at the top levels, um, we're man-to-man. We're, we're, if you did a research on data, whatever, we'd be 90% man-to-man. One of the games we play zone against is, is Grinnell. And when you look at the teams that won the national championship, ones that have won it in the last 10, 20 years, you know, you've got Jim Beheim once at Syracuse, Colonel uh, Anthony. You've got guys like Huggy Bear and Bill Self and Dayline that do it a little bit at those levels. But when push comes to shove as a man-to-man team, you've got to, you've got to get stops. You have to be able to stop somebody man-to-man. I'm okay with the mix. I'm okay with, you know, those things. But on our end, what I believe in is flat out come down to a man-to-man defense. And I looked up a little bit in synergy today, kind of messing around with some numbers. So for, for those of you guys that are listening in, when he says synergy, he, he – on the college level, they have resources beyond resources, and Synergy is a program that allows him to look up a lot of different stats, tendencies of players and teams, so on and so forth. That's what he's talking about when he say Synergy. He's kind of, you know, go ahead. We don't have, yeah, we don't have that. That not in our budget. Racing Prairie might have it. <laughs> you know, and they, they uh, so Syracuse last year, 94.5% of their possessions were uh, zone defense. And they were the Hold on, say that again. 94.5% of their possessions on defense were zone. Wow. That's and interesting. They also were dead last in efficiency in zone defense. Ooh. So it's a, it's a defense that. It, zone, you play against it, you get a rhythm, you get in trouble, especially if today's players are more skilled. It's a so I think at the top level, you have to bring in the man which comes to show. Okay. Uh, Cordell. 
You the man to man type of guy or zone? What did you guys play UW Whitewater? Interesting. So, Cordero, are you saying that you were a defensive player in high school and college? I wouldn't necessarily say I was a Okay. Okay. <laughs> we just want to get that straight. <laughs> uh, 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 Coach Leach, you a man-to-man -man guy or a zone type of guy? In the eighties? In the eighties? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always man to man. If you didn't play man to man, you were either labeled a lazy coach. Ooh. Or there was always there was always the thought, as as Q said, there's always pride in man to man. And it was always a, a manly thing. Hey, I'm gonna play man to man, I'm gonna match up with you one on one and we're gonna see who's best. Uh so I think for high school and college, it's different. College, Corey, Dennis, and, and uh, Damon, when you were there, you recruited to a certain style. I get what I get. Yep. You're in, you're out. And would I prefer to play man-to-man -man every single season? Yep. Uh, but ultimately, I want to win. And if winning means that I, I play you in some kind of matchup zone, whatever the case may be, but if it allows me to stay in the game and beat you or stay close, that's what I'm going for. Um, that's, that's, what I, that's what I'm here to do. I'm, I'm not pushing ideals other than winning. And uh, I was a guy who really never played zone up until the last probably three, four years. Interesting. And, uh, I found opportunities where it would make a huge difference for us. So I took it, and, and I really won't change. Excellent, excellent. Uh, anybody else? John, go ahead. All right, so, uh, you know, coming up, playing a lot of travel ball, not AAU ball, travel ball. Uh, you know, we, we play a, a different variety of zones, but that's just what the nature of what tournaments are. You play three games in a day. You know, playing zone kind of conserves your energy a little bit. You know, keeps a guy like me making threes the rest of the day and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, in terms of being a high school player and wanting to be a varsity player, wanting to contribute, you know, we were always man-to-man. -man. And I love learning the principles of shell defense and all that stuff. And But as a coach, you know, you evolve yourself and you learn different things. And uh, I've always been a man-to-man -man guy, but 
you know, I have a lot of conversations with my older brother, Scott, who's also, he coached high school ball for double-digit years, and, you know, he'll teach me things like, hey, even at the freshman level, out of timeout, switch your defense, because another team might call a play during that timeout, you come out in a different defense, you just foil their whole plan. So I'm learning things like that right now, and that's, you know, kind of exciting, but at the same time, a freshman, the better you can teach them to adapt to a different call to a defense and get them set up, here in and out, you know, that makes them, it gets them ready for JV varsity when you're hearing different calls during a game and you're just ready to get right in. Interesting. Now, we're talking about man-to-man defense and zone defense. You guys play in in the SEC conference. Uh, You got uh, uh, Coach Trey Allen, head coach at at, uh, Racine Park High School on the line, so he might be taking notes, uh, just just to let y'all know. But uh, Coach Atanasoff. Yeah, um, I guess I've kind of changed on this over the over the years. Um, at first, I just didn't feel we had the athletes to to be up man to man. So we would teach three, four different zones and try to change it up and te- keep teams guessing and not let them get into rhythm. But uh, when Coach Rail came in 2015, and I kind of told him he's our D coordinator. Um, and I stuck with it this year. We, we play man-to-man. Um, if we go zone, it's either just as a change-up uh, um, or, you know, in the second half, we got a group of five that really has it going offensively, and I don't plan on subbing much just to keep guys fresher. But um, if we do go zone, we don't lay back. It's more of a you know, three-quarter court trapping-type deal. But um, like Corey said, um, for the most part, I mean, you got to be able to play man-to-man to win come March. And uh, we've really bought into that. And our kids, uh, you know, if, if we work on zone and practice, they start moaning and groaning. And uh, so I've become a man-to-man guy. It just took some time. That's a good thing. Coach James. I think, so, I, like Coach, like a lot of you said, you got to play to what your team is built on. But at the end of the day, it comes down to man. So, you know, we're a man team. At the end of the day, though, I think it all trickles down. Like at the highest level in the NBA, you know what they playing? They playing man. And at the end of the day, you have to be able to guard your man straight up. Like you got to be able to get a stop one on one. So I know for us, that's what it comes down to. Like in those key moments, you got to be able to guard somebody one on one. So uh, just just my opinion on it. This is the best damn podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris, and we got some of my friends from all over the globe, Minnesota, Kenosha, Green Bay, De Pere, Paris, Wisconsin, um, and these guys are ready to roll. Got some great topics that we're going to be talking about tonight. Some of these guys play basketball. Some of these guys are coaching basketball. Um, we just got a really colorful uh, group of fellas on the roster tonight, and with the starting lineup, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, we're going to start off with my man. I call him the basketball guru. He's a trivia guy. Johnny Eck, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, Johnny Atkins, coach Wisconsin, uh, head freshman basketball coach at Kenosha Bradford High School. Been a part of the program for about five years and uh, played four years there, graduated in 09. My man, Johnny Ack. Welcome, my brother. Appreciate you. Next up, Coach Say Young. 
Sad Young, third year with the Bradford basketball program, head JV basketball coach. Um, I also graduated from Bradford. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Coach Young. Next up, my man, A.T., the big brother. What's up, fellas? Coach Turner from uh, White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Varsity assistant. Been uh, coaching for the last 10 years. Appreciate you, A.T. Going down to the little brother, A.C. Yeah, Adrian Turner, A.C. Some of you might know me. Uh, Canoe to St. Joseph graduate 2007. Yes, sir. I've been coaching uh, basketball for about nine years and doing other sports, but uh, my last position was girls' varsity head coach at Holy Family Catholic. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. My man, Michael. Michael Holden, uh, fifth year at Bradford, at the Mary D. Bradford High School in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm graduating in 2008. My man, Mike Holden, thanks for checking in. Appreciate it. Uh, Jason. Which one? Sorry, Tanisoff, go ahead. Uh, Jason Tanisoff, Prairie. Uh, 14 years with the program. Last nine as the head coach. Proud 01 St. Joe's grad with Brandon Morris, yes, sir. who I dominated in left hand give it up for three straight years at lunch. <laughs> That's old school right there. Y'all know nothing about left hand give it up. Jay Coke. Yeah, Jason Coker, uh, varsity head girls coach over St. Joe's, getting ready to head into year three. Uh, been coaching since 01 in Kenosha. Appreciate it. My man, C squared. Demo, thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Uh, Corey Shashelshik, St. Norbert College, assistant men's coach. I'm entering my 10th year there. Prior to that, I was a varsity head coach at Menasha High School. I uh, was the youngest head varsity coach at the Division One level in the state of Wisconsin when I started. And prior to that, I was a varsity assistant and head freshman coach at Kenosha Tremper High School. Seymour High School, home of the state championship run. 2002. Home of the state championship, huh? Interesting. I don't even know what division Seymour plays in, by the way. For those of you guys that are listening on the podcast, if you never heard of Seymour, Wisconsin, when you look it up, if you don't find it, don't even come back to me. It's all right. Uh, my man, Craig Lee. St. Therese graduate back 1982. Oh, shit. Uh, been coaching over 30 years in Kenosha, the last seven at Kenosha Bradford. Excellent. Appreciate it. So, like I said, we got an amazing roster for you guys tonight. Uh, these fellas been around the game for a very long time, and they're still a part of the game of basketball. And uh, I'm so appreciative to have you guys on the podcast tonight. So let's go ahead and dig in to the questions right away. Right away, first question, let's jump it off. How do you handle players stating that they're going to score 
and or average 25 to 30 points in college. Uh, what advice do you give those type of players? And with that type of mindset, are they recruitable? So right away, Corey, we're going to come to you. You're the college coach on here. When you hear that or if you hear that from players, uh, what type of advice do you give them? Are they recruitable? Yeah, I mean, they might be. It depends on their mindset. I, I like the confidence. Um, it doesn't happen. There's nobody that averages 25 to 30 a game at the college level. Kevin Durant didn't do it. Mm. Uh, you know, Michael didn't do it. it. It just it doesn't happen. 25 to 30 at the NBA level is tough. Um, at the high school level, very tough. So does it happen real often? No. Um, maybe in some bad programs where you don't have a lot of other players around you. Um, but I do like I do like the confidence. Um, I'm a big believer in recruiting confident players. Uh, but I, I hope they understand just because they score 25-30, if you give up 31-32 on the other end, it's not going to serve you well at the college level. So you, you still, no matter how much you score on one end, you got to be able to play on the other end too. So when I, when I look at the recruitable, it depends on the person, depends on their background, who they are, um, is – getting buckets all that matters to them or does winning matter to them there's a big difference between the two so i think that would be probably the best way i can answer that one excellent excellent uh at you're in minnesota you said you're an assistant coach if you hear one of your players make that statement what advice do you give those type of players well i'm glad Corey brought up uh kevin durant you know, and Mike Beasley, those are the two most uh, prolific scorers in the last probably 15 years in college basketball, and they didn't do it, you know? And so, like you said, confidence, um, that's huge. Confidence is huge, but at the same time, there's reality, you know? Yeah. And the question I have for that kid immediately is, are you putting in the work to score 25 <laughs> in college? You know, it's impossible, dang near, but... Out. That means you have to beat the team to practice. You have to beat the coach to opening up the door. It should already be open as a player, right? And preparation comes with – our confidence comes with preparation, you know. And so you would hope that they are uh, putting in the work. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Jay Coker, player comes to you, says, man, I'm about to average 25 to 30 points in college. That's what I want to do. What advice are you giving? Are they recruitable? Well, I'd be excited if they could, but reality, like uh, the previous coaches said, you know, it's pretty tough. I think uh, just at the high school level last year, 16, there were 16 boys that uh, in the state that averaged 25 or more. I think three girls only uh, on the girls' side that averaged 25 or more. Uh, you know, the mentality is great, the desire for it, but are they actually putting in the work um, outside of practice, I think that's a common separation with a lot of players. You know, you get better as a team player in practice, but are they are they putting the work outside of practice to enhance their game, to give them a chance uh, to maybe, you know, potentially score at that rate? But I'm more concerned with having uh, somebody that's going to help me on both sides of the floor instead of one side. Appreciate that. Uh, one more. Anybody want to jump in, in on this one? We want to hear from one more. Greg Leach, we'll, we'll take yours. So, Coach Leach is 30 years in the game, but he's a little shy sometimes at the podcast. Uh, it's okay. I'm... I have something wrong with my uh, cursor. That's all. I was hitting it, but it wasn't doing anything. Okay. Uh, 
So I'd like to turn it around to high school kids because I had a kid about six years ago come to me and tell me that he wanted he wanted to uh, average 20 to 25. My first question to him was, how many shots do you need? And uh, you ask a kid that, unfortunately, kids are going to lean more towards quantity than quality. Mm-hmm. And I went through a scenario of how you could actually get um, 25 or 20 to 25 and not take an overabundance of shots. And I think a couple of keys in that formula, using your teammates and move it, moving the basketball, because it's not AAU, you know, there's going to be help side defense. And I think more importantly, there's going to be coaches that if you've got that kind of talent that are going to be scouting and uh, they're going to come up with game plans against you. So it's great. You got that confidence in the summer, but you need to understand what makes basketball teams successful. And you got to understand that if you're sure we, you can isolate and we can get you buckets here and there, but you're not going to do it consistently over 36 minutes on your own. Um, and so you, you kind of walk through, hey, if you're using your teammates, you're getting quality shots, your shooting percentage is going to go up. You won't need as many shots to get to that number. And yet, and, and when you get to that point, now you got your teammates that are able to play with you um, and you're all sharing the basketball. And uh, good things happen. I mean, you, you look at a lot of teams that, they do that and share the basketball, and kids understand that it's quality, not quantity. And um, there's a lot of success that way. Excellent. Excellent. Wow. Uh, AT, AC, you want to hit on it? Yeah. Can you hear me better now? Yep. All right. Cool. Um, yeah, I think style of play is, is, is uh, a big factor in that as well. You know, and you generate easy bites for yourself. And that's probably a team thing as well. You know, offensive boards, student passing lanes. If you could get two fast break steals, that's four points right there. You could get three offensive boards and uh, a couple putbacks. Then how many times can you get to the line within flow, right? Averaging 25 probably is not going to happen. But if you can get 12 easy ones, you'll be good. Okay. Um, you were cutting in and out a little bit. I know you're uh, much further north up there in Minnesota. Um, and I, if you can... Just put it in the chat box because I want to hear from you. I know you, you've you been around the game for a long time. Type that answer up in the chat box because I want to make sure that we get that on, on the podcast. Um, so there, there were some excellent answers. I mean, coaches, you guys are pointing out how many shots do you need to get those points? Uh, you know, how are you preparing? There's uh, reality that you're, you're not likely to score that. Somebody mentioned... Uh, Durant and, and Michael Beasley has been one of the best scorers around in the last 10, 15 years. And uh, they haven't even averaged 25 to 30 points. Um, a college coach recently told me that the player uh, he was recruiting, he wants this player really bad. 
um, he's, the, the kid told him that he wants to average 25 or 30 points. And he said he was blown away by it, and he didn't know how to respond to it because he wants this kid really bad. However, uh, he, he would have to tell the kid that this might not be the school that, that, that's for you um, because we're top 25 in the country every year. Um, we just had five kids go Division One, and none of those players averaged 25 points. None of those players even averaged 20 points. As a matter of fact, the most that they averaged was 17 points. And I, th I think that speaks volumes, especially when you're talking about winning. And, and some of you guys touched on that. Uh, so we're going to move on to question two. Uh, we're going to give question two uh, to Michael Holden. Should and we're going to let everybody chime in on this one because this is this one has been a hot topic uh, since it came out a couple weeks ago. Should college basketball players get paid uh, while they're on scholarship? Uh, and then is this a good thing for the game of basketball? Mike Holden, what, what do you think about that? It's a catch-22, I think. I think if you look at the model and the business of college basketball, some could argue yes, right? But I think as Coach Leach and I always have conversations about the bigger picture, um, on some levels, if you're getting a scholarship, aren't you getting paid for that quality education that you're providing if it's the full ride? Um, so I can see it going either way, Um but on some levels, I do think there needs to be something for college basketball as the business aspect is gaining so much profit from it, whether that be, you know, providing for them educationally, because as we know, all colleges aren't able to give full scholarship. Um, so I think on some levels, it just depends on the nature. But but long answer short, yes, college players should be compensated in some way, shape or form. Uh, just like a yes or no answer, do you, is this? You think this is good for the game of basketball? I think it's great for the game of basketball. And it's great for the individuals playing the game of basketball as well. Okay, uh, Coach Corey, we're going to come back to you, but uh, uh, Tana Soft, we're going to come to you. Yeah, I think. Um... If you're on scholarship, you obviously get an education paid for, and we're talking about a small group of players that can make money off their likeness. Um, I would be completely in favor of that. Um, if someone wants to take time and sign autographs or can uh, sell their jerseys or, or things like that or even get a shoe contract, um, I would not be opposed to them making money, but I don't think the colleges need to be directly paying them. Okay. Uh, said Young. Uh, great answers from every coach that already spoke. Um, I'd have to go with a third party. If it's a third party that's willing to give that money out to an individual, go ahead. Um, you're exploiting my name. My name's on the back of that jersey. Um, I know some colleges back then didn't do a lot of name jerseys, but I mean, it's, it's 2020 right now, and there's names on the back of those jerseys. So, um, And then you go back to the NCAA, the, uh, the video game, um, those players, those names were there. Pay me for that. So uh, uh, it's a catch twenty twenty, like Mike Holden said, but I'm okay for paying them as long as it's a third party. Okay, uh, Johnny A. 
Just uh, I'll do my thing and hit you guys with some trivia here. Obviously, Coach said was talking about the video games, and that kind of all stems off of the uh, Ed O'Bannon of the 95 UCLA National Championship Bruins starting that whole lawsuit. Um, but, you know, this just kind of brings to my mind. It's been going on for forever, you know, watching some of the 30 for 30s, like, say, on the Requiem for the Big East, you know, when those coaches got bigger and when Nike, you know, brands like Nike and Adidas started outfitting schools and the warm-up suits, the shoes, all the equipment, they become basically walking billboards for those companies, yet they're not getting anything other than their academic scholarship, which some people would say enough. You know, I don't really have a complete one way or another thought on it. I just think it would be totally interesting to see how other all the other dominoes fall if they would start paying athletes, how recruiting regulations would be changed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, eight, uh, Corey, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely great points by everybody. And I, I go back to what Michael said. Um, he said the catch 22. It's a tough, it's a tough deal. Um, where do you draw the line as an institution? What you pay, you know, what are, what are you going to pay? How are you going to pay it? How is it going to be regulated? Who's going to regulate it? Who's going to be paid to regulate it? Um, and then you have the flip side of it. Really, how many athletes are really marketable? Look in the NBA. There's 16 signature shoes. You know, how many people are really marketable in a market? So, to me, the NCAA passing the rule that you can make money off your own likeness outside of the video game money and jersey money, there's not really a big difference in what they're receiving now. The real question will be how shoe companies treat this and who they're going to really target. We're, we're, we're seeing the lawsuit now with Zion Williamson and the money offerings that were kind of pushed into him going to Duke, supposedly. I don't think there's any coincidence that the NCAA is pushing this this rules and regulations through with Duke now being in the news. They knew about this lawsuit before we did as a public. Um, so I think, I think, yes, I think every college athlete should have the right to make money on their own likeness. Absolutely no question. I don't think the institution should be paying any more money than the money generated off of, say, jerseys, video games, those type of things, because they are already giving the scholarship. They already are giving the money. And really what that will do is it's going to create a greater divide between the power conferences, the mid-major conferences, those middle conferences, the low majors. Like a place like UWGB can't afford to give any more to their players than what they're giving right now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't just throw UWGB out there. We Hey, we got – okay, you're right. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you went through it, and I've seen their budget. I know what they're at. I know. You know, it, it, it's – when you get to that stage, it's, it's where does it end? You know, yeah. what? how much money is Zion Williamson worth to a college? Yeah. You know, and, and how much are you going to pay him? And then what are you going to do when they start making more money than your faculty and your professors? And, you know, they're, they're, where do you where do you draw the line? Look at look at the first cuts at UW system where the three highest paid UW system employees, Paul Christ, Barry Alvarez, Greg Gard, first first uh, uh, voluntary payroll cuts, you know, so. Where do you draw the line? I agree. I think everybody should be making money. You should be allowed to make money on likeness. We're in, a, we're in the United States of America. We should be able to make money. That's that's part of this society. But where where is it coming from? I don't know. And I don't know that that many players are that marketable to make money off their own likeness outside of a NCAA football game or basketball. Interesting. Um, AC. Can you hear me now? I'm yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. 
Um, yeah, I, I agree with Coach. You know, it, it is tough to say that most players are marketable, but I know for myself personally, you know, I'm running into some players at AAU tournaments, and they will have, you know, I'll ask them, hey, do you want to help you out, help out at a camp? I'm getting paid as the head coach running this camp. I feel like I can throw them $200, $300 for showing up, you know, and, and running a couple stations for me and such. So I think that would be probably the best place for those athletes because it could be any level, any sport, making money is off of, attending camps, you know, helping run camps. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, AT. Yeah. So I just got a, I got a couple of things. Um, you know, my first question would be, what would it look like? You know, um, as far as who's getting paid, how much they're getting paid, what schools are getting paid. Is it all the way? Is it anything under the NCAA title? So all the way to Division three down, are we paying those athletes? Or I don't know. I you know I don't know the research on that enough. And so, um, or is it just the scholarship schools right now that are paying for you know like the D one D two NCAA's or you know where? And that's my first question: is what would it look like? You know, uh, my second is what about the Title nine? So does that mean that? women's sports would get paid as well. Like, is it just athlete in general? Or so if we pay Zion Williams, uh, whatever million, what will we pay? Uh, what's her name out in Oregon? I can't think of her name right now. What does she get paid? And, you know, and um, so then conferences, like he, uh, Corey mentioned about conferences. Do we have different pay scales for different conferences? And if that's the case, how would you pay somebody in the SWAC? compared to somebody in um, somebody in the ACC, so to say. And last but not least, I guess my other question would be, we're just talking basketball here, but football, what sports are going to carry the, the load? How are you going to break that portion off? A quarterback, is he going to get paid more than a point guard? Or is he, you know, is he going to get paid more than the lineman? Who knows? I don't know how it would look if we just go on individuals, players getting paid and then uh my last thing i think is some of the ownership when we're just talking basketball has to go on the nba because they all of a sudden put a rule in where you can't come straight out of high school no more you know and so does that go to so now they have a g league and you can come into the g league and play right the one kid the high schooler is doing that now which actually gives the the NCAA an out, if you ask me, because now it's like, hey, there's other options for you to go get paid as an athlete instead of be a student athlete who gets paid. So I don't know. I'm all over the place on that, but there's a lot of questions I have that need answers. Uh, Coker. Um, yeah, so a couple of things. Uh, personally, just being the, I think, uh, in the bulk of athletes in, that were in college uh, that were just average players compared to all the better ones, you know, I was across the country. I wasn't allowed to work um, during the season, and I couldn't go home. I was dead broke. I still worked on the, on the low. <laughs> uh, just so I had, I had enough, you know, just to take care of myself, get – get a, you know, 48 pack of ramen and stuff like that. Um, but I, you know, I, I do with the G league 
evolving, if you will, into this scenario, I feel like the NCAA has probably got to do something. Um, what that looks like, it sounds like maybe the easiest thing is uh, what Coach said, or, uh, Coach said that earlier about a third party. So, I mean, if the kid's making money just off of uh, his name and, and deals he's doing on the side, let it be. It is what it is, and then maybe the NCAA can help out. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of athletes out there uh, that are attending school. They're under the requirement that they can't work. They're dead broke. Um, and really, they're not looking for the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sure, they'll take it. But, you know, a couple hundred bucks just so you can you can live your life outside of uh, the basketball court and the classroom, you know, that that go a long way. Uh, Greg, you got anything or said? Jason, who hasn't talked yet, Tanisov? I went. Uh, It's just a complicated issue, Brandon, and and I don't know. I mean, so you pay them, but where's the ceiling? So the stakes can get raised and money just, it it just keeps going up. Um, One thing is I was listening to all these great points that popped into my head and I, w- I don't know how this would work either. I mean, this is such a complicated issue, but what if you had revenue sharing similar to baseball and you had a salary cap? Uh, I mean, again, it doesn't account for division, division one, division two, II, division three, and all the schools beneath. But um, I think that's probably one of the reasons why you'll never see it happen unless it's a likeness and it's something having something outside of the NCAA. Go ahead, Corey. And to, to follow up on that, GL, there actually is a little bit of a, a, that type of system already. So when you go to the NCAA tournament, so the Big Ten, the more bids you get in, the more of a profit sharing you have to share back with, like, say, the Big Ten. So in Division One, there's already kind of a pseudo type of model of that where there there is a little bit of profit sharing. Um, and then you've got the TV contracts, which are the other big portion. Uh, at the Division Two level, there's not – at Division Two and Division Three, really the NCAA loses money on those tournaments, so there's no profit sharing at the end. So I, you know, I think, I think, like you said, I think that it, I think it's got to be a third party. I just I don't see a way that you could have an institution paying them, maybe outside of royalties on a jersey. But yeah, that yeah, you're ab- absolutely right, Gio. Anybody hey, else? I have a question just to pose to the group. Yep. Just to piggyback off of, as you know, the world that we live in, if we op- if this happens, right, um, if we get to this point, at some point it's going to trickle down um, to high school athletes, don't you think? They're going to say, hey, I, these schools are recruiting me. I want to get paid as well to, to kind of win. Um, at what point do you say, hey, we're providing you a solid education as well? Ooh, interesting. Anybody want to touch on that? Everybody's got great points right here. I just want to hear some uh, feedback and piggyback since we're talking this and I'm going straight to number four. So just have it in the back of your heads. Um, when you're going to the G League, I'm going to number four question. I'm skipping it. Kind of that's based on the whole thing. Uh, Jalen Green. Um, I think one year they'll offer a player to forego college, if I'm not mistaken. 100 from I think it's 150 G's to 500 G's. Where mm. so is that goes back to the other coaches? Where's the cutoff point? Um, 
you know, where's that cutoff point for that player to get between 150 to 500? Geez, just to play in a G League. Interesting. So, um, I mean, we like you guys continue to say that we heard some good points. Uh, this is about making money, jersey sales, video games. Uh, kids are on academic scholarships. Uh, you're making more money than it's possible. You can be making more money than the staff. Uh, you can make money at camps. What about Title IX? What's the scale? Is there a cap? So on and so forth. Um, I don't. I don't believe that schools would necessarily have to worry about playing, paying the players. I think it would come down to, uh, when it comes down to endorsements, you have to look at the car dealerships uh, that are in those cities. You would have to look at uh, the stores that are, the mom and pop stores that are in those cities, the restaurants, so on and so forth. It's really about those different businesses that can gain or make more money off of a player's likeness or image. So if you're doing a commercial, that's how I think college basketball players will be able to make money from it. I don't think it has to do anything with the college. The college is already doing enough by simply giving them a basketball scholarship. Uh, but when you talk about jersey sales, Maybe that's where Nike or whomever had to step in and endorse those players by a certain amount of jersey sales. So kind of like with the Nike contract uh, that they gave to Jordan. If you make more than $4 million in that first year, then you would get X amount of dollars or something along those lines. I don't think the college would have to worry about anything. This would not be on the college at all. It would be all of the folks on the outside. So just like a lot of those college coaches, they get the American Express endorsements. Uh, some got the McDonald's endorsements, Sprite, so on and so forth. And I think that's going to trickle down to some of those players that are very marketable. There are guys that, that are good looking guys that can model and kind of make money off of them while they're in college sports and so on and so forth. Greg, you want to touch on that? Go ahead. No, I just wanted to ask you, what were the royalties on those two uniforms you got there? You still getting paid on that? Uh, actually, uh, I cannot disclose that until the year 2025. So we'll come back to that. <laughs> and for those of you guys that are listening, the jerseys that he's referring to is one that's behind me. Uh, one is from Egypt. And then the other one is from UW Green Bay. Got the number 31 and the number 13. And yeah, um, the royalties are still rolling in. That's how this podcast is going. Anyways, on to number three, fellas. Uh, which it kind of brings us to uh, our sponsorship commercial. And this podcast is brought to you by nobody. Uh, so we're still working on sponsorships and, uh, yeah, that will come in, uh, whenever it comes in. Uh, so we got a roughly about 10 to 13 minutes left in this first segment. Uh, so the last question we want to touch on, and then we may throw out the bonus question in there. How do you advise players when it comes to choosing a college? So much gets mixed up, confused lost in translation when it talks about 
advising a player and what college they should maybe choose. Uh, how do you advise players when it comes to choosing a college? Johnny Ack. All right. So uh, most of my experience uh, with that would probably become when I was coach when I coached baseball in the summertime. Um, and I, the two main things I kind of look for, first off, academically, does that school or school that's looking at you or that you're looking at, does it offer the academic program that you're, that, that interests you, that you're looking to build a career off of? Um, athletically, um, is that, is that school looking at you in general or are they, do you, they have a specific need that you fill? So, um, obviously there's other factors that go into it, you know, location, um, Etc. Etc. So I'll leave it at that. Okay. Uh, Jason, a off. Yeah. Um, you've got a handful of kids going to play. A um, couple Division One, couple Division Three. Um, I always talk to them first about the coaching staff and the system. Um, as much as you might want to pick a school for their academics, uh, coming from Prairie, if you're going to play a sport, you're picking the coach staff just as much, if not more. Um, style of play and then somewhere where you think you can be a contributor. And that depends on the kid. You know, is he hoping to be someone to, to go in and, and have an impact right away as a freshman? Or is it a kid who's grounded and maybe he's going to a, a really good program and might have to sit for a year or two and, and be a, a really good practice player and show his coaches what he can do that way. But um, style of play and coaching staff are the two things I always talk about with him. Excellent. Uh, AC. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, you're going to be going somewhere for possibly four years. And you definitely want to be comfortable with the coaching staff. You for sure want to like where you are. You know, you're going somewhere for four years and, and not liking the campus, not liking the people around the environment around you. It doesn't make for a happy life. You know, and, and in order to be able to focus, we want to be happy. We want to be happy. You don't want to have extra distractions from the locals you don't want to have extra distractions from your, your coach man this guy rubs me wrong every single time i walk in the gym that's just a rough environment so definitely want to make sure that coaching staff is what you like and the culture is just the, the way that it needs to be plus the education can't forget the education excellent uh jason coker uh, i would say on, on the conversations that I've had, I really try to find out, you know, how, where do you want to live? What about the weather? How far away do you want to be? You know, do you want to be close enough that you can drive back and do the laundry over the weekend and get back? Or, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids are, think they're built for moving across the country and being on their own. Uh, and they, they generally hit uh, some type of shock, if you will. Uh, so trying to find out what the coaches said earlier, uh, along with those things as well, I think is, is, just being, you know, due diligence on our part to try to help them find the right fit. Seth, how do you advise, you know, these players to choose a college? This is this is a difficult conversation to have for a lot of players. And you have a son that, that will be possibly going off to college, possibly playing college basketball in the next three, four years. Uh, how do you advise players? Um, great points on, you know, what every coach said, um, as far as what 
where my son's aspirations is, it's uh, it's all about academics and whether or not you're going to be coachable, um, like most of you guys said. Um, and then the atmosphere, um, how far do you want to be away from home? Um, then uh, from having a couple cousins go and play some ball at some tough colleges, um, one stands out for me. He said um, in his second year, and this, this just sits in the back of my head all the time, in his second year, the coach bought in another player um, that he liked more than me, and I was already a two-year starter. Um, that mindset, um, that mentality, um, whether you got or whether you want to continue to push yourself for the next two years while you're there. It's a four-year program. If you're going there, um, just having that ability to, you know, keep pushing forward, mm. whether or not that coach is bringing in that guy. So yep. you want to go to a spot where you're liked by that coach. Um, you like that coach and the system fits you. A.T., Um, I would speak from experience, you know, uh, the last couple of years I've been blessed to coach with my brother and we've had players go to UConn and the Marquette. And then we've also had them go to smaller junior colleges and stuff like that. And our biggest, one of our biggest questions or one of our biggest things when we're talking to these players are. Hold on. Sorry to interrupt. You coach girls basketball or boys basketball? Girls, now I'm at boys. I'm on boys this last year, this past year. So and when you say you were sending those kids to UConn, are you talking about the one with the Huskies and, uh, like, Ray uh, Allen? Yes, yes. Diana Taurasi? Uh, if you let me finish. Okay. I can uh, go ahead. Going to UConn to play softball because <laughs> because uh had offers in basketball but wanted to go to UConn for her softball right that's excellent and UConn this most part of that experience of what I'm talking to you about is and our other player went to Marquette to play lacrosse right wow. but, but they could hoop yeah right yeah and what the deciding factors was with them were you know they they loved the family environment and so they loved feeling like at home so my question to players is hey does this feel like a family to you, you know, and when you can coach and control environments and locker rooms, you know, and you have a family environment, right? Sometimes that's more uh, easier for a player to go. So the question is, are you going to go where you're wanted? Or are you going to go and try to earn your way or carve a way out of a coach's heart that might not be as soul on you as you are on them or their program? Excellent. Uh, Michael. Just to um, piggyback, I think it was a bunch of great answers. Uh, I was talking to my guy, Q Young from the Mary D. Rapper who went to Whitewater. Talked about under, he do some research. Um, don't just believe exactly, exactly what the coach says, but do your own research and go where you're wanted and go where, where matches your personality and where you're going to be successful. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, in the world that we live in, you're sold um, a bunch of dreams, and, and you have to do some research in them to make sure that they have your best interests at heart. Of course, they, they're going to want to win. Of course, they're, you know, you're know you going to get these promises, but making sure that the end result is for you to be successful in any recruiting situation, just making sure it's a good fit for the kid and not just for the school. 
because um, the school will tell you to come there because put because of your potential, but it just may not work out for you. Excellent. So we got about two, three minutes left. Uh, Greg and Corey want to close us out. Corey? Yeah, well, I, you know, uh, both Coach Turner and Michael, uh, Coach Holden, talked about it. Go where you wanted. Why, why go somewhere to, you know, why are you recruiting them more than they're recruiting you as a player? Ooh. Um, you know, I've seen so many guys chase scholarships. I, I coach at the D3 level um, where their experience isn't very good. They, they go out way out west. I'm not going to name schools because I would never want to knock a school. Um, but they go to these places where they're getting a $500 book scholarship. Well, you could go to Whitewater, Point, St. Norbert. You know, you can get a great experience, play in front of packed gyms, have your family see you every weekend, get that opportunity to see, you know, see what a great basketball environment is. Um, but never go somewhere where you have to recruit yourself to them. Uh, more than they're going to show love to you. If you're doing that, chances are you're going to get over, you're going to get recruited over, or it, it's just not going to be a great experience. You're just more of a practice dummy. And um, I, unfortunately, every year around Christmas time, I get 10 to 15 calls from kids that that's happened to, and we don't have space for them anymore. You know, they were already kind of fringe guys for us, and at that stage, I, there's nothing more we can do for them at that stage. You know, so. I, I always feel for kids because you only get one chance to really make the right decision. And if you don't get it right, it's really hard to make that second decision. Excellent. Greg, 30 seconds or less. Uh, I'll just, all great points, and I don't want to uh, beat a dead horse. But the one thing that I would say, and Coach Holden touched on it, I think you have to match the, the player's personality to the city, to the culture, and the distance. Um, if if a kid is not going to make it out west, you know, four hours, three, four hours away, let him play somewhere close to home so that he can jump in a car in an hour and a half or two, get that fix he needs from his family if that's, you know, if he's close to them and he misses them. Let him stretch a little bit, and then maybe the following year, look to go somewhere else. But I think it's often overlooked, and we're looking to chase an unrealistic dream instead of instead of taking a real hard, close look at, will I fit my personality in that city? Great points. So those are some great points all the way around, fellas, as we close out on our first segment just talking about how do you advise players and I think that's one of the toughest roles that a lot of coaches and mentors uh, that's one of the toughest roles that you play because sometimes uh, the best advice is to keep it all the way real with these players and that's not always what the players want to hear uh, but this first segment was I took a lot of notes you guys gave some nuggets as always we appreciate you guys. We're going to roll into our, our second segment of the podcast. And I think uh, we'll have some great, great conversations moving forward. Shout out to everybody that's on. We got Minnesota in the house, Green Bay, Paris, Wisconsin, Kenosha, Racine. Uh, I look forward to the second segment. Let's grab some drinks. Uh, all you old men, use the restroom. And uh, we'll be back for segment number two.